All right, how many of you have dishwashers? <laughs> That's a real question. You have a dishwasher. We're going to talk about dishwashers right quick. Uh, I remember life without dishwashers. Dishwashers are a pretty cool thing. Uh, in my way of thinking, though, dishwashers are probably one of the nastiest things in your house. When you think about it, now not immediately after you finish washing the dishes. You know, you immediately when you get through washing the dishes, hang on, which side? Thank you. Immediately when you get through washing the dishes and you open up the door and everything, the smell comes out. Cascade obviously has a little perfume in it to make it smell all good and everything. And, and you take your dishes out and their plates are squeaky clean and the glasses you can see through and there's no spots and the flatware has no spots on it. And it just all smells real good and it's all clean and everything. And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but in mine, and it could be a malfunction, I don't know anything about dishwashers, but every now and then at the bottom of my dishwasher, there's a little bit of water left in, in the very, very bottom. And I figure what happens is when you wash the dishes and, and it washes them and then it rinses and it washes them and it rinses and then it rinses and then it rinses and then it rinses, there's all this humidity in there and then they turn on the little heating elements to dry it and the dishes drip and the water collects in the bottom. So it's got to be clean water, right? So would you take your water bottle and scoop that up and, no, that thing's nasty. Think about this. Y'all, I want you to go home and do a little something for me. I want you to go home and smell your dishwasher. Now, those of us that have larger families, we probably run it every day. But, you know, I got to think it if there's like just a, a husband and wife or if it's just by yourself, <clears throat> that, that bad boy might collect dishes for a while. And then I don't know if you've ever done this, I, I have, where you walked in and you've been collecting dishes and you open that dishwasher up and it's like, whoa, time to run it, right now. And blop the little cascade in and off we go. You don't drink dishwasher water. It's nasty. You don't do it. Nobody told Jesus. Nobody told Jesus that you don't drink dishwasher water. Go to chapter 2 of the book of John, verses 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that one with you and let it be yours. We can always replace those. But it's, a cha it's chapter 2 of the book of John, about two-thirds of the way back in the Bible. The heading in my Bible says, The first sign turning water into wine. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now, six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification, each containing 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them, so they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter, and they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he didn't know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and he told him, everybody sets out the fine wine first, then after people are drunk, the inferior. But you've kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. 
Let's pray together. Father, we come here this morning to hear your word and nothing more. And you know us, Lord, as much as we think we want to be like you, we forget many times and we have to be reminded. And Lord, there are some in the room that need to be called for the very first time. You stir in their hearts and they want to hear your voice. And we ask that you bring them to salvation. And Father, for us, we're going to listen for your word today. And we're going to trust your spirit to speak to us. Father, forgive the one who's speaking of his sins. Help him to properly discern himself before you. And Lord, we want to hear about Jesus and nothing more. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus made wine. Jesus made wine. Now, I've struggled, and I realize this is a randy struggle, and this is just splitting hairs and words, and, and I'm not going to go into all the boring stuff with you there. But I have trouble with the phrase that he turned water into wine because Jesus has been, been making wine for thousands of years. The, the, this time when he made wine, he simply cut out the middleman. That's all he did. He's been doing this forever. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and when he created the earth, he created grapevines. And this same rain that they collected and they put into these water pots for purification is the same water that's been falling on the earth for thousands of years, would go into the ground, get mixed with nutrients, the grapevines would soak it up, it would grow, you'd get leaves, you'd get fruit, somebody would pick the fruit, they would crush the fruit, and once they did that, it would ferment, and then they'd have wine. And they've been doing this for thousands of years. And you know something I learned that y'all probably knew that I didn't know that I looked up this week? Because I didn't know how you made wine. I wondered what the process was. How do you get grape juice and not get wine? I don't know. So I looked it up to see, how do you do it? And I found out that God very conveniently, when, when he created grapes, the yeast that ferments those grapes grows on the grape. You don't have to add anything to it. And when they, you know, they get in there, you see the thing on television, they stomp it all up. And, it, and yeah, when they do that and it squishes the juice out and the juice gets on the, the uh, shell of the, it's not called a shell, it's called a, there you go. And it gets on that thing and it all mixes together in the juice and then you put it somewhere, a little bit of time passes and that yeast works on the sugars and turns it into alcohol and lo and behold you have wine. Over time we've learned how to add some little different stuff to it to make it taste a little bit but the basic biology is the same. Jesus simply took the water that had fallen from the sky and he skipped to the last step. No vine, no fruit, no time to ferment, just wine, and the most perfect wine that was ever made. Why would I say that? Because it's the perfect son of God. It had to be. There could never have been any wine made better than what he did. Now, why did he do this? There's an awful lot to talk about here. I mean, you could go, you, you start doing this. Y'all can't, I, you probably would believe. I wrote tons and tons of stuff and then started ripping it out because you go, I can't go that long. And you, you, there's a million reasons why you could say that all of this happened, you know. We talk about what his mom said, and when he said, and y'all know this, but just for those of you who may not know, when he said, what is that to me, a new woman, he was not being disrespectful. Woman was the same thing as saying lady, and there's a million reasons why he might have said that, but he wasn't being ugly to his mama, so mamas don't get all wrapped up over that. He was being nice to her. 
We could all talk about that. We talk about the embarrassment of the groom and his family as they were running out of wine. But none of those really count as the reason. When you look at verse 11, it gives you the reason. It says that he revealed his glory. That's the reason Jesus did that that day. It wasn't to spare anybody embarrassment. That could have been secondary somewhere or because his mama said something. But this is the first sign that he is who he said he was, and he did it in order to reveal his glory. Jesus performed what we call a miracle. And if he did this, something only God could do, then we need to believe. Jesus performed a miracle. And that's the word we have to use for it. But I want you to think about this. For Jesus, that wasn't a miracle. It's what he did. It's who he was. It's how he operated every day. It wasn't a miracle. It was him opening our eyes to the possibility of God. That's what he was doing. Opening our eyes that there may be something different in this world. There may be something different in this life. That there may be something different in a spiritual realm that's different than what you see every stinking day that comes. You remember when Jesus, what John said in chapter 1 verse 3, said all things were created through him, him being Jesus, and apart from him was Uh, Apart from him, not one thing was created that had been created. This wasn't the first time that Jesus made wine. This wasn't the first time this ever happened. He invented the process. He designed it from the ground up, literally. It was simply the first time that we saw him do this without props. He just did it. And he did it to reveal his glory. little tidbit hidden in here that you have to think about to see. See, Jesus, for the first time, he's probably about 27 years old here, and for the first time in his 27 years, he is doing something that would be supernatural because the Scripture says this was his first sign. So he probably didn't sit down as I was reading somebody saying that talked about it as a little boy and he made little clay pigeons and then he said, pigeon, and it'd take off and fly. His mama probably didn't see him doing little stuff like that because this scripture says this was his first sign. This is the first time he did something that let the cat out of the bag. He let people know that he was indeed the son of God. He created something from nothing. Pastor, there wasn't nothing. There was water in there. Yeah, it was water. That's all it was was water. I don't know how to illustrate this. I don't have a clue. But I want you to think about this. It's water. It's wine. Let's try it again over here. Barbara, it's water, it's wine, nothing in between. He didn't add anything and stir. You know, I've watched my wife and mother-in-law and my mom and all them make cakes. My mom and them, that is southern as southern can be. Watch them make cakes and they mix all this stuff and you've got cake batter, uh, not batter, you got flour and you got, you know, the stuff, all the stuff that's all over the kitchen. They do their stuff. And then a the cake comes out. Jesus didn't do all the stuff. He would have said, flour, cake, whoop, nothing in between. I want you to understand that. These guys 
Can you imagine what they thought? And, and as I've i got to be careful, I'll go, get, go down that path, but just the things that I think about, all of these people that were involved in this story had to think. Fill this pot up with water. Okay. Fills up pot water. Now scoop some of it out and take it to the headmaster. Are you crazy? I'm going to give him some of that nasty stuff? But you said so, and Mama said, if Mama says I got to, and the guy tasted it and says it's the best wine it's ever been. Water, wine. He changed it. Nothing except wash pots to hold it there. People saw him do this. They understood the scriptures. They understood. They understood the scriptures. When we understand the scriptures and we see something happen in front of us, that's when we know it's God. They understood the scriptures. They knew that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And now right before their very eyes, they are seeing a man who claims to be the son of God doing something that only God himself could do. In their heads, they're hearing, here's your sign. They knew. They understood. Now let's don't misunderstand what we're reading. These people were for 2,000 years ago. They didn't have the modern stuff they have now. They didn't have science like they have now. But they had the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. They knew what they were seeing. John wrote it down. There was eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony, if you've done something wrong, will get you thrown in jail. And eyewitness testimony, if you didn't do something wrong, will get you released. We have eyewitness testimony. Water, wine, boom. We have eyewitness testimony. Now, we talked about dishwashers. Why are we talking about dishwashers? These six pots that they had here. Six water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. They served one purpose, and they did two things with these pots. The first thing that they did in these pots is everybody that came had to wash their hands. Every last one of them had to wash their hands. And all of the plates and all of the dishes and all the stuff that they used also had to be dipped in these pots to become ceremonially clean. They had to do this. They had to. Now, I can't guarantee we've become very germaphobic in our society. Because, see, when I was a little boy, you might wash your hands when you got out of the bathroom. You might, and you might not. And when we go fishing, my granddaddy, would, my granddaddy believed, <laughs> y'all don't need to know this, my granddaddy believed that the only way to fish for catfish was to use three-day-old chicken liver that's been sitting outside. Do y'all know what that smells like and looks like? I'm telling you right now, it's death warmed over, and Granddad would take his pocket knife, and he would cut little slivers of chicken liver and lay it on the boat paddle so it could cook in the sun for a little while so it'd stay on your hook. And then he'd take that pocket knife, and he'd rinse it off in the lake, and he'd cut me a piece of the apple. And I ate that bad boy. I didn't die. You did too, didn't you? <laughs> no, you did. These water pots, these water pots were there 
for those folks who came, whether they had washed their hands or not, to wash their hands in those pots so they could be ceremonially clean in the purification pot. It was a religious requirement. If they didn't do it, listen, this is how serious washing your hands was. If they did not do it, they became unpure and they couldn't go to church. If they didn't wash their hands in this ceremony like they were supposed to do it, then they became unclean and they couldn't participate and they weren't supposed to touch people. They couldn't get around them. It was a religious requirement. So everybody washed all their hands. Now the dishes are supposed to already be clean, but they're still having to dip every dish in this pot to make them ceremonially clean. It was a big deal. So everyone washed their hands and all the dishes for however many folks came to this thing, washed in the purification pots, and those pots, Jesus said, you fill those up with water, you fill those pots up with water, and he made wine, and they drank the wine, and it was the best wine they ever had. It had to be because it was made wine by the perfect son of God, and he made it in the dishwasher, and everybody drank from it. Now, here's the significance of the dishwasher. Here's the significance of the pots. The people were taught, the people were taught and believed that if they washed their hands in the pots and they rinsed the dishes in the pots, they were clean. Now, try to follow me here. What made you clean was not washing your hands. What made you clean, because this was something God put in place, what made you clean was washing your hands because you were being obedient to God. That's what brought the cleanliness, not the act of washing the hands, but washing the hands because God told you to do that, and you were being obedient to God. But you see, over time, people forgot about the God part. They forgot about the obedience part of this thing, and washing became the issue. If you didn't wash your hands in those pots, you were a mess. And the only way these pots rendered any kind of purification at all is when the person that approached those pots to wash their hands was doing it to be obedient to God. And Jesus filled those pots, pots that had become nothing but tradition. Jesus filled those pots with new wine. Now, I'm going to lay this out in front of you. You do with it whatever you want to do with it. But I want us to think about something. We voted the other week. We're going to go to two services in August of 2018, and it makes every last one of us uncomfortable. It does. I know some folks were more vocal than others, but every one of us were walking around going, what's this going to look like? What's this going to do? How's this going to be? What's the church going to look like? How is all of this going to play out? What in the world's going to go on? How much of our discomfort is rooted in tradition? How much of our discomfort is rooted in tradition? Let me ask you a question. If somebody came to your Sunday school class and asked your Sunday school class to move to another room, How many weeks discussion would we have to have before that could actually happen? And would I be working at Taco Bell when it was over? I like Taco Bell. (laughs) Some people don't like the meat pump, but I like Taco Bell. If the music changed a little bit, if somebody sits in your pew 
Now, we can let a visitor sit in our pew one Sunday because we can help them understand next week that there are other places for them to be. But if one of us sits in your pew, then you ought to know better. I've been sitting here since the beginning of time. What's your problem? And you know what's strange from up here? Is sometimes, see, I don't really see each one of you because there's a whole lot of you out here. But I sort of have, I always know, Danielle, you're sort of going to be over here somewhere. Berta, Randy's sort of going to be over here somewhere. I know where Sherry's at. Fred's sort of in this area sometime. But then sometimes I'll look down and, and Fred, instead of being over there, is over here. And my whole world goes crazy. I think, what did I miss? What's going on? Are we about to have a called conference? I don't know. What's going on here? Because we get hung in tradition. In tradition. I've asked people, when you die, will you go to heaven? And they'll say, oh, yes, pastor. Oh, yes. And I'll say, why do you think you'll go to heaven? And they'll say to me, I read my Bible, I went to church, I've tried to give a good life, live a good life. I have fulfilled the traditions of the church. And I won't hear anything about Jesus. The tradition won't get you there. You've got to taste the new wine. Now, there's a lot to be said about tradition, and I'm not fussing about it. Some are good and need to be held. We're going to follow a tradition in a little while, and we're even going to do a tradition from my childhood simply because I'm the pastor and I want to hear the song, and I think it would be cool, and I really hope you all know it. But no tradition is worth going to hell over. And as the story progresses, you're going to find that one of the reasons that Jesus got crucified was for traditions. That he wouldn't do the traditions like the people said the church had to be run and he was crucified because of it. But I'm telling you right now, the wash pot will never make you clean. It'll never make you clean. Jesus' goal is to reveal his glory, to let everyone who will believe know that God has come to humanity and humanity can now come to God. Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Jesus made wine in purification pots. And then in Matthew 26, we read, Jesus took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus has already started with his very first sign, showing that wine will represent his blood, which will be spilled for the purification of sins. We watch this story unfold, and it just goes piece by piece by piece. We see how it all fits together. Jesus is setting the stage. He says, my hour has not yet come. Do you understand? Do you understand? When Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, that means he knows that his hour is coming. 
And everybody he touched and everybody he loved and everybody that he did something for in those three years of his ministry, he knew when he was talking to them and healing them and ministering to them and loving them that at the minute that it mattered the most, they would all turn his back on him and he did it anyway. He did it anyway for the purification of sin. This miracle is both proof and foreshadowing. It's proof that Jesus is the preexistent Son of God because he did only what God could do. And it's foreshadowing that his blood will be spilt for the purification of sins. It is God doing only what God can do. Now I'm using a Puritan book of prayer. I may have mentioned this to you already in my devotions now. The Puritans lived in the 15 and 1600s. I want us to pray one of their prayers together. By our standards, it's a little long, but listen to it as we pray. So really think it, it says what we want God to hear. Let's pray together. My Father, in a world of created, changeable things, Christ and his word alone remain unshaken. Oh, to forsake all creatures, to rest as a stone on him, the foundation, to abide in him, be borne up by him. For all your mercies come through Christ, who has designed, purchased, promised, and affected them. How sweet it is to be near him, the lamb, filled with holy affections. When I sin against thee, I cross thy, thy will love, life, and have no comforter, no creature, no go-to. My sin is not so much this or that particular evil, but my continual separation, disunion, distance from thee, and having a loose spirit towards thee. But thou hast given me a present, Jesus thy Son, as mediator between thyself and my soul, as middleman who in a pit holds both him below and him above. For only he can span the chasm breached by sin and satisfy divine justice. May I always lay hold upon this mediator as a realized object of faith and alone worthy to be love to bridge the gulf. Let me know that he is dear to me by his word I am one with him by the word on his part and faith on mine. If I oppose the word, I oppose my Lord when he is most near. And if I receive the word, I receive my Lord wherein he is nigh. O thou who hast the hearts of all men in thine hand, form my heart according to thy word, according to the image of thy Son. So shall Christ the word and his word be my strength and my comfort. Amen. This morning before we go to the Lord's table, we want to offer you a brief invitation. You have heard eyewitness testimony this morning. Eyewitness testimony that Jesus did only that which God can do. He came to purify us of all of our sins. If you have never trusted him before but you trust him now I invite you while we're singing to come forward and tell me if your heart is overwhelmed by life and I know many of you are 
I invite you to pray that he will purify you from all that separates you from his strength and his comfort. Jesus is not mad at you. He invites you to come. He wants to save you. He wants to make you new. As we sing, won't you come?